This is the Negotiate X Podcast, show number 45, part B. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the NegotiateX podcast. We are continuing our conversation with Julia Ewert, a renowned sales and negotiation expert. If you haven't already checked out part A of this show, be sure to do that first. Let's jump into the conversation with Julia. Can I share another cool story about something else that I did? And I've shared yeah. some of my American friends and they, were, they I frightened the hell out of them. So prior to Christmas, <laughs> I was in a shopping center car park and there was 1 billion cars in there. That was the actual number I counted. And um, <laughs> everyone trying to get out at the same time. Anyway, so the cars are going nowhere. There's a little bit of movement in front. The woman behind me is in a fancy schmance car and she's getting annoyed. And so there's a car in front of me, like no one's moving. There was a bit of movement. There's a car in front that's trying to reverse out. So I stopped rather than move forward and like literally move forward five metres, I stopped and let the car in front of me out to join the queue. Anyway, woman behind me blasts on a horn. So... I did what any, you know, good negotiator would do is I thought, I'm going to go for a chat. So <laughs> I, no one's going anywhere, right? So no, no cars are moving. So, um, so right. he blasts the horn. And so I put my car in park. Uh, and so I got out of my car and I went to chat to her. Now, when I've told this story to some of my American friends, they envisage someone now pulling the gun on me. But I will let you know. That's the first thing my wife would have said. So This never happens in Australia. No one has guns here. So it doesn't happen. So there's zero risk of that happening. So you guys should live here. So anyway, so I went out and I spoke to my new friend. And so I stood outside her. And, and now, so what I know is I go, if I blast her and get angry, this is going to not be helpful. But I go, opportunity, have a different conversation. No one's going to die. Like build my resilience to it. So I probably get out. I walk over to her car. She looks a bit like, holy crap now, because I'm going to go and talk to her. And so mm -hmm. what I do is... I smile really nicely and this woman would be, I don't know, I'm terrible at guessing age, 70. So she, she you know, <laughs> puts a window down and I said to her in my nicest, kindest voice, oh, I heard you honking your horn at me. Um, was there something you wanted to say? Wow. <laughs> and so she's expecting me to blast her, right? right? Really hard to get angry at someone who's not angry at you. So she says, yeah. well, you know what, you just stopped and that car went out. I said, do you know what, no one was going anywhere and it's Christmas. <laughs> and she was very surprised <laughs> because she yeah. were wired for defence. Right. expecting me to come over and swear at her and get angry at her, whereas I thought, no, no. And, again, I, I, I like so these are just a few examples. I do this stuff when I see opportunities. It's not every day. But when I see opportunities, I go, this is the chance for me to upskill on low risk stuff, low stakes, right? And it, it's hard. I'm dying a bit on the inside, no question, but I know it's better for me. 
And I would, you know, back to the tennis analogy, I'd rather learn against and play against Serena Williams than, I don't know, my seven-year-old. So, like, I want to try when, the, when, when, it's, when it's tough. Absolutely. And speaking of trying when it's tough, when you're with clients, so Aram and I love to focus on preparation. We think it's the most crucial part of any negotiation that you know you're about to get into. So kind of wanted to know, how do you address that with clients? What do you have them do? What do you focus on or anything like that? In terms of preparation, Nolan? Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah, no, you would never prepare. You would just rock up and give it a crack and see how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Prepare is a terrible idea. It takes so long to prepare, so you should never do that. Yeah. Yep. Funny enough, I have uh, someone who said to me a few weeks ago, yeah, Julia, I tried some of your stuff, but it just takes so long. (laughs) I said, how's it working out for you? He goes, well, I can't get business. And, you know, I can't convert stuff and negotiations. I go, well, but, you know, I'm going to try and hire a marketing person. That'll help me. I was like, good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so preparation is necessary, right? Same as Wimbledon. You wouldn't just step off the plane and go straight to the court. You would prepare for the game. You'd get your equipment ready, get your tools ready. So I practice this stuff too. I spend a lot of time with my clients practicing. And interestingly, I've got a, a client that I'm working with at the moment, and they've had a quiet word to me in the last week and said, Julia, the team have said that this stuff's really repetitive. I said, mm. yes. And they said, one other team have asked, when's like the big thing coming? I said, <laughs> what big thing would that be? <laughs> and they said, like, they just asked when the big thing is like, we just seem to be re- repeating the same like skills. I said, yes. <laughs> so again, it just shows how misunderstood this craft is. Let's just plan it up. Let's just plan up and have a go and see how it goes. So <laughs> this stuff, you know, to, to be to be great at anything, and I ask my clients or my prospects before they become my clients, I ask them, if we start to work together, score of 10, how good do you want to be? And then just before they're about to answer, I say, because I reckon I'm about I'm about seven or an eight. Because they're all gonna they were about to say 10, weren't they? They were all gonna say 10. Yeah. And then they go, Oh god, if she's seven or eight. So so then I say, right, so if that's the number you want to be, whatever the number is, what can I ask you what you're prepared to invest in terms of time and learning to, to be that number? Because as you would know, no one actually wants to do the work. They want the magical thing. Right. Yeah, I get It's interesting, Julia. So as I, I, you know, I teach at a university here and I often get about, oh, about midway through the course when I get some, I do mid-course feedback. I get similar feedback in that, wow, this is really repetitive. And, and I've tried to let them know from the front that, that this is going to be, we're going to build, we're building a vocabulary, we're building skills, we're building muscle memory. I, I said, I want to be in your head. I want, I want you to be able to do this in your sleep. I want this to become something that, you know, five years from now, when you're in that difficult moment, you automatically go back to these skills and not maybe to our kind of our natural defensive inclination to negotiate. And so it's interesting to hear you say that you have kind of that same sort of response from clients that you get that pushback. Everybody wants that magic pill. Just tell me to do X, Y, and Z so I can get, you know, this magical outcome. Julia, what's the one thing that you need to do to win (laughs) negotiations? One thing. And I said, yes, you need to do all the things. That's the one. That's the one thing. <laughs> yeah, but same That's thing, beautiful. right? So I have a, I had a, a, a long-term client say to me uh, a while ago, Julia, you know, the 
the team, you know, that I, I did this one activity to help their muscle memory with with asking open questions, and we do it a lot because necessary. And so they challenged me and said to me, um, Julia, look, the, the team don't want to do that anymore. They reckon they've nailed it. So can we move on to some other things? And, you know, again, where's the magic? Bring the magic next time. That'd be great. And so I said, yep, no problem. I said, the team think they've nailed it. No worries. So I turned about the next session and again, opportunity to build some resilience for Julia. So I said to them at the start of the session, hey, guys, I... Um, had an interaction recently with a competitor of yours and as a result I think you guys are uber expensive and I reckon you need to revisit your pricing strategy like this other company I think they're doing a lot of stuff that and I named the competitor I think they're doing a bunch of stuff that you guys could learn from I reckon six of them at once talking just jumped down my throat no this is why they're crap this is why we're great this is why and so I just sat there in silence. I said, right. So plot twist, I have talked to no competitor. I have no idea <laughs> what your pricing structure is like. But you guys reckon that you're all ninjas at objection handling. If you were, what you would have done back then is you would have said, huh, it's interesting, Julia, tell me some more about that. <laughs> but you didn't. All of you went to annihilate me. So I'm sorry to break it to you. You're not ninjas at this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, with another client, I use the analogy and I asked them, I said, is anyone, in, is anyone in this group a former or a current elite level athlete? And there was a professional, former professional soccer player in the room. And I said, great. I said, how long, how old are you now? This person was 45. I said, how long, old were you when you started? Uh, six. I said, right, tell me about some of the fundamental skills in soccer. And he says, you know, kicking and passing the ball. Right. I said, great. So when you're six, how often do you do that? He said, every training session. I said, when you're 45 and you're playing the game, how much of your training do you spend kicking and passing the ball? He says, a lot. I said, if you couldn't kick or pass the game, the ball, would you have been able to turn pro? He said, no. I said, this is the same. In fact, it's going to be more serious because you're all getting paid, all of you. You're all getting paid to play the game of the business that you're in and you haven't got the skills. So you've demonstrated you can't kick and pass the ball properly. And this is a rare conversation I have, but it's necessary. And again, it just shows how misunderstood this stuff is. Hey, Julie, I kind of want to jump into the way a lot of negotiations are occurring today. It's obviously way different than how negotiations happened before because before years ago when we didn't have email or phones right at our fingertips everything was done face to face so as these modalities are changing what are some key considerations for negotiators who are trying to get something done through email text or video or anything like that yeah don't use email do not email where you can we're trying to get face to face right and because of geography and the world situation, there's not a lot of opportunity for that. So the next best thing is doing exactly what we're doing now. You've got to eyeball someone. The baseline here is pick up the goddamn phone, people. Pick up the <laughs> phone. So I do this lots of different ways. And I would suggest I've only probably, I reckon I've only met face-to-face 30% of my clients. The rest are exactly like we are now. 
And, you know, one of my clients in particular, um, they've been with me for a couple of years now in the second year, their level of investment with me went up three times the amount of the previous year. They're still here. We've only, we've never met, we've never met face to face. Is it harder work to do it this way than if we were sitting in a room together negotiating, whether it's building rapport or dealing with emotions or any of that work that we would do with a client or in, in any sort of negotiation? Yeah. Is it more work or, or does it change or not? Well, see, I think, again, it depends on your level of skill. People say, oh, I can't do video calls. Really? How hard have you tried? And there's a fear behind there, so they rely on, rely on email. There's something I talk about in all the programs that I teach, and it's it's the trust equation. Are you guys familiar with David Meister's work? Okay. He's done a uh, he's done something called the trust equation. And as we know, I, I'm going to make an assumption here that the negotiations that you're both involved in are not the kind that the the hostage and the terrorist negotiators are involved in, right? Like the stuff that I negotiate with businesses, correct. it's not life or death. We have people willing to have conversations with us to some degree, to some degree. So, so there's a trust equation by um, a gentleman called David Meister. And the fundamental principle to a lot of the work that I do with my clients is based on this principle. So I'm not doing, same as you, life and death negotiations. I'm doing business stuff where for the most part, we have someone who is to some degree willing to talk to us. So we know that we are much more likely to reach agreement with someone that we like. We also know we will go out of our way to disagree to someone, disagree with someone that we don't like, even if in principle we agree. Hmm. So what we're trying to do is we, we are trying to supercharge the trust, which can be done over a Zoom or a Teams call. It's almost impossible to do over email. And the trust equation is basically the, the mathematical or the, um, the how you measure trust. And it is. It's credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. So credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. Credibility is do you have the skills, the qualifications and the runs on the board and the experience? Reliability is what's your reputation like and do you do as you say you'll do? Intimacy, this is the one that makes people sometimes giggle a bit. Oh, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. This is simply, do we connect? Do we have the same dogs? Do we have the same kids, uh, same kids, uh, the same, uh, same hobbies? Do we live in the same area? Do we have the same enemies? Do we love the same type of Netflix shows on Mexican drug cartels, which is what I love. <laughs> I judge people like there are some good, Watch them all. Yeah, yeah, so good, right? So good. So like do we have something in common? We're going for likability. Right. And then the the negative in that in that equation is self-orientation. I could be the most credible person with the best reputation. You kind of like me. But if you just think I'm trying to serve me, then trust is off the table. If you feel like I'm genuinely trying to serve the cause here or help you solve the, solve the problem, trust is all up for grabs. But back to the top line, credibility plus reliability plus intimacy, those three things are not weighted equally. We would sacrifice credibility and reliability for intimacy any day. This is how startups get a go. They've got no runs on the board. They've got no past experience. But someone goes, you know what, Aaron, I kind of like you. Here's five million bucks, right? <laughs> Connection is what we're going for when we're trying to negotiate, you know, over video conference. Really, really hard to build connection over email. 
really hard. Not, nothing's impossible, but why make it hard for yourself? The other thing I talk about as well is if there was a race and the prize was a pot of gold, would you rather enter a race with five competitors or 500 competitors? Five competitors. So if you are emailing someone and expecting to win the pot of gold, you are in the race of 500 competitors because I don't know how many emails you guys get per day. But any email that comes into my inbox that's asking me for money or business, man, that's not a priority for me. So this is, a, again, a terrible strategy. It's not that hard to stand out. So first, pick up the phone, people, say the things, use the words, find stuff in common, and get people into a, a call like this when you can eyeball. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Julia, you know, so much in negotiation, we talked about you know, some mis misnomers or thoughts about it. So much about negotiation seems to be focused outwardly from our organization, right? Getting this supplier to align or this customer to align or whatever. Negotiation as just a good or critical leadership skill. How do you encourage leaders to look inward to managing their teams, aligning internal stakeholders, just dealing with the day-to-day leadership challenges that come come up. How do you how do you get them to think about negotiation as this skill that I can use within my organization? Well, simply, if if the leader wants to persuade or influence, they need negotiation skills. No different to anyone who is actually like you or me in negotiating all the time. So these skills help them persuade and influence. It helps them have performance discussions. It helps them to recruit the right people, to terminate the right people, to increase productivity, to get accountability, and telling someone, much the same as, you know, going back to that example with Nolan of the, you know, where's your oil and gas experience, Julie? If I drop down his throat and say, well, I don't need it, here's why, I'm going to get him offside because what I'm a hop, skip, and a jump away from conflict because effectively I've said to him, what I'm saying is you are wrong you don't understand me. You are wrong. No one must be told they're wrong. So when we're debating with someone, and this is why I talked before about we need genuine curiosity. So if you're a leader and you want to have a performance discussion with someone or you want to get a, a, an increased budget for something, you've got to come from a place of genuine curiosity, trying to serve the other person, which is back to that trust equation, self-orientation, not coming with your hand out for an increased budget. So there is so much, so much, negotiation required in leadership. Do clients naturally see that or do you have to encourage them to see that? No one sees it. <laughs> Again, people think it's this magic thing where, oh, I'm only negotiating if I'm haggling on price for a flat screen TV. <laughs> it's just, but again, you know, the three of us, we are like masters of the craft here. We see it everywhere. And I do, I genuinely see it everywhere. I see negotiation all the time. I think I think in open questions, what's the question I can ask? What's the question I can ask? It's the genuine curiosity. You know, when I led big teams, I wished I had that skill back then. I didn't understand it. I was in a different place of learning back then. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Because I think that segues awesome to this next question. If you don't mind sharing, what is one of the biggest negotiations failures that you've had and kind of what lessons did you learn from it? So it may have happened during that time before you were well-versed in negotiations. Yeah, and what's interesting about this question, Nolan, is that the story that I'll share with you, you could easily go, that has nothing to do with negotiating. Hmm. 
So one of the companies I worked with, um, so I started to get promoted pretty early in my career into management roles. But interestingly, my team at one at, at a couple of different points didn't like me. I was very task oriented and not at all. I was zero people orientation. And when I say zero, I probably mean minus zero. I was heavily focused on task. I had the mindset of, well, they've hired me to do a job, so I'll just do the job and do the things. I didn't give anything of myself personally. I shared nothing of myself and my team didn't like me. Not surprisingly, right? Like I wasn't connecting with them. I had nothing in common. I made no effort to find things in common. So anyway, uh, I started to work with a coach who helped me see the light. And I, it's after a, a certain amount of sessions with this coach, thought, well, I, I feel like I'm hearing it for the first time of why this is important. And now I can, I can start to persuade and influence better. So I held a meeting with my team and I, uh, I still remember exactly where I was. It was at three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, there was five of them there, a small team, and I knew that they didn't like me. So I said to them, I'm here today because I want to talk to you about something that I'm going to try differently. And as I'm thinking, I'm thinking, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Also a terrible strategy because what happens when you tell yourself that 10 times? Yeah, right. here's a coming out. Like, <laughs> I'm crying, right? But I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because I genuinely cared. And I was being vulnerable and I felt exposed. And I said, I'm going to try harder. I know you don't like me. And to some degree, I don't like me either. I started to work with a coach. I'm starting to understand the importance of sharing things of myself. I never thought that was important, but I feel like I'm starting to see the light. I'm going to start to try some stuff with you guys, but I'm going to need your help. I'm not going to always get it right. I'm going to tank on some stuff. Please tell me that I tank. Tell me when I'm tanking. But can you also, if I try something on and you go, that was weird, but it kind of worked. Tell me it was weird, but kind of worked. <laughs> like, just just talk to me. But I'm, I'm going to try and make a real difference here to do better. And so anyway, I finished the conversation and I went out to my car and one of my team uh, the toughest one in my team, actually, she she chased me out the door and she called out to me. I turned around and she ran in and hugged me. And she said to me, that is all you needed to do. That's powerful. Back then, that was not a lesson at all in negotiating. That was just leadership, maybe 101 or maybe, I don't know, 201. But that wasn't negotiating. But now I look back and go, well, it's just persuading and influencing, right? I was doing a terrible job. So giving it myself, being vulnerable, it's necessary because this is that ego thing I talked about, you know, when we started talking. And so ego kills negotiations. Mm. Ego kills persuade, your ability to persuade and influence. I love the authenticity that you demonstrate. You used the word vulnerability, which was what I was thinking too as you were sharing your story authenticity just seems to be a critical skill for a negotiator. And, and maybe that's what gets in our way sometimes is, is that we think we have to be something else versus just being us. Oh, Aram, I was caught up for so long in who these people want me to be. They obviously don't want to be me to be me. I need to try me someone else. It was so hard. It was exhausting 
working in some senior roles because as you know you know when you, know, when you when you work for another corporation welcome or not you get feedback <laughs> so i was i spent a lot of my time confused as a ninja negotiator i mean as someone who you know is referred to as the negotiator I'm going to guess you always get this right in your personal and home life too. I mean, you illustrated a beautiful example of coaching your son through a conversation. So you probably get this right all the time in your personal life too. Is yes, true? I am completely flawless at all times. <laughs> and I'm very happy for your listeners to think that way. So yes, you <laughs> no. As I said, like the, the most common language in my house with my kids is whinging and complaining. I'm shouting, shouting <laughs> all the time because sometimes I couldn't be bothered. So Fraser and Matisse, my children, tell me some more. Like sometimes I just want to shout at them, put your shoes on. We're going to be goddamn late. Because <laughs> I know if I would use some negotiation skills, we'd get there a lot better. But you know what? Feels good to shout sometimes, and I don't. Right. Like, Man, you got six kids. You'd be the most shouty of everyone, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yes, right. I do. But interestingly, something that has helped me lately, and I've had some really par big parenting lows. So at one point, my husband was working away twenty six weeks a year. I had two kids under three. We got no family here. I could barely put a meal on the table without someone screaming and or me screaming. It just life was tough. And so massive parenting lows. But interestingly, even now when and my kids, if they're if they're literally if their eyes are open, they're fighting. But when I'm out with them in public and this is happening, as ridiculous as it sounds, and I shared this with someone only just the other day, but I have said to myself, Julia, pretend your clients are watching and give a masterclass beautiful and that really helps me because what i really want to do is shout at my kids to goddamn get the car <laughs> so or, or stop doing the things right yeah i do want to suggest also obviously i love my kids an awful lot <laughs> it's hard though to but this is why you know in the, with this client telling me your stuff takes a long time julia uh-huh yep this takes time and effort and dedication. Like if you want to be great, if you want to win Wimbledon, you can't just smack a ball around a couple of times a week. you got to play every day and get up at four o'clock and eat well and go to the gym all the time. And you have to serve a hundred thousand times, sometimes without even a racket or ball in your hand. You just have to practice the movement. You don't get to touch the racket. Training is boring. And this is why only some people make it to the, the top at the elite level of any activity in the world, sporting or professional or otherwise. It takes proper dedication to get this stuff right. And that's why I say I'm, I reckon I'm a 7 out of 10. I spend probably between, I've cut back, but I probably reckon I'm spending, I was doing probably four to six hours a week. I'm probably only doing about probably three to four hours a week at the moment where I practice these skills every week properly in training with professionals teaching me every week because I go the better I am also it feeds my thirst for knowledge so it's satisfying for me but I'm in some groups and I and I'm humbled by how little I know about this stuff hmm. that puts me in a two and a half or three Julia so uh, I'm not even on the board so not this is even great. not <laughs> even <laughs> 
No, I think that this has been an awesome podcast. As we start to wrap up here, is there anything that Aram and I did not ask you that you'd like to to basically just give to our listeners of, of what they can do to be more successful? I genuinely believe you can negotiate, you can persuade and influence anybody with these skills. So use them for good, not for evil. These are life skills. These are not skills that we use and we're haggling for price on something. These are every day in every way. I hope some of the listeners want to dedicate to the cause, practice the things, do all the things. But, yeah, I think you guys have a a cracking podcast. I love the guests that you've had on here. I love the work that you do. It's, It's This is necessary work. This shapes the future. So thank you for what you do. Thank you, Julia, for joining us today. Yeah. And before I turn it over to Aaron, this is a podcast that is all about elevating your influence through purposeful negotiations. So with that, Aram, are there any key takeaways for our listeners today? Yeah, and I'll start by just saying thank you, Julia. Uh, brilliant, as we expected you would be, and so insightful. So thanks, and thanks for making us now a kind of a global podcast by getting us down under. Uh, really appreciate that. I'll just say, you know, Julia said it numerous times. This isn't, it's not magic. These are learned skills and it takes discipline, dedication, and some time and a w- real commitment, a willingness to to, to develop these things. And so just encourage everyone to, as you listen to this, take yourselves on that self-orientation part of the trust matrix, take yourself on and look at ways that you can, you can get better uh, in influence and persuasion opportunities that are going to show up every day. And as Julia said, thousands of times each day. Absolutely. Well, that is it for us on today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please rate, review, and subscribe to the Negotiate X podcast, we'd greatly appreciate it. It's going to help get this podcast in front of other leaders and help them be more effective negotiators. So that's it from us. Appreciate it. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.